Welcome to Embedded Edge with Knitting, a podcast that brings to life the stories behind today's embedded systems, technologies, and products. It's the show where you'll hear from both engineers and executives on some of the most topical news and most pressing challenges in the world of embedded system design. Here's your host, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded.com, Nitin Dahad. Hello, welcome to this edition of Embedded Edge with Nitin. In this podcast, there's a bit of a RISC-V theme. I talk to Semidynamics, a configurable 64-bit RISC-V startup coming out of stealth, then to Agile Analog, who've launched three new analog subsystems, which package analog IP into digital wrappers, including RISC-V, and ViperCore, a processor startup that also launched with four million pounds of seed funding and talked about its memory allocation management technology, which will be deployed initially via RISC-V, but eventually to other architectures. In the first interview, Roger Esparza, CEO and founder of Barcelona, Spain-based startup Semidynamics, said it launched the first fully customizable 64-bit RISC-V core family for handling large amounts of data for machine learning, artificial intelligence, and high-performance computing. I asked Roger to reveal more and understand how this is different to previous processors claiming to be fully customizable. In the second interview, Chris Morrison, Director of Product Marketing at Agile Analog, explains more about the company's new digital-wrapped analog subsystem IP, which claims to reduce the effort required to integrate multiple analog IPs into any ASIC by allowing the IP to be dropped straight into a digital design flow and connected via a standard peripheral bus such as Amper APB. And in my final interview, you'll hear from Russell Hagar, and Ed Nutting, co-founders of ViperCore, a new UK processor startup that received a record £4 million in seed funding this month. They explain their innovation in memory allocation management that accelerates high-performance general-purpose compute workloads, which they claim by a factor of up to 10x, without modifying the original code. I also asked why investors were so confident in the potential for their technology. So let's now go to those interviews. Hello, I'm talking to Roger Espaza, CEO and founder of Semidynamics. Roger, hello. Hello, thanks for having us, Newton. Roger, so I think you're coming out of stealth with Semidynamics. You've been working on this for a long time. Just tell us uh, what you're announcing. Yeah, let's start with what we're announcing. We're, we're... Basically, letting the the world know that we're bringing into the RISC five uh, IP space a couple of uh, cores, uh, RISC five cores, sixty four bits, um, specialized in uh, data movement. So we do claim to be the best data movers in the RISC five space, probably in the planet. And the, the other thing is that we these cores are are fully customizable. That we work with our customers to customize it to what they need as opposed to providing just a um, ready-made, um, hey, here it is, or to say, we got a GUI tool that you click, click, click. We work with our customers to customize their score. Where, where have you come from to do this? I think you've been working on this for a few years. 
Absolutely. We, uh, you know, me personally, I started with Alpha, spent some time at Intel and and then Broadcom. But uh, Semidynamics started by designing a course for uh, for others. Uh, in fact, we designed the Esperanto 1024 uh, RISC-V course. Uh, and after that, we decided that we wanted to create our own IP and, and bring this knowledge about data movement, uh, high parallelism, uh, AI, HPC, to the market and and help customers that have some some amazing silicon project realize that project with our technology and save them time and money by starting with our cores which are really good at moving data and computing and then adding on top of that whatever the customer needed so that's our that's our background let's just go back to this uh, fully customizable because you use this as your um, big uh, headline but We've seen the story before, and I think what you're saying is you're not actually, and you said this earlier, you're not providing people with a tool and then they just go away and do something. You're actually working with each customer if they want to customize it, or you're offering the cause directly if they don't need any changes. Just tell me how it's different to the story. That's exactly right. We we do think that, um, of course, we have the basic customization. The customer can say, I want 16 kilobyte cache or 32 kilobyte or 8 kilobyte. That's everyone's got that. But we don't think that's the value. The value is sitting with the customer and understanding what are they building, what silicon they're doing. They're going to put four of our cores in silicon or 128. They're going to use DDR memory or HBM memory or no memory, or they're just going to have scratch pads understanding what is that they're trying to achieve, what problem they're solving for their end customer, and then telling them, okay, if that's what you need, here's how we should change our baseline core to meet what you need. And and that's really what we're all about, to really, we're willing to open up even our out-of-order core, which is a very complicated beast, and change it to do what the customer needs, as opposed to click me a few buttons and we call that uh, customizable. No, we really work with them to to deliver uh, what's needed for their target market. And and this is really how you differ from Sci-Fi, Andes, and maybe even Ventana. We believe so. I mean, uh, of course, if a customer comes and wants our core, which is a great, great core for with vectors and data movement and needs no changes, we're super happy to <laughs> embrace that customer. But but more often than not, and in these days of these enormous budgets of silicon, um, any silicon project has enormous budgets, people need changes because they're doing something optimized for a good reason. and And that's I think where we differ from all these other companies you mentioned. And how long does a customization take? And I know that's like asking how long is a piece of string, but um, I mean, typically the customization probably doesn't take that long. It's probably all the other bits around it. You're you. correct. I mean, first we, we need to adapt to the customer's roadmap. They have a, a, a doing silicon is very difficult. So it's multi-year projects. So we have to adapt and be fast and nimble at the beginning so they get our technology at the very beginning and they can adapt it. So it has to be less than a year, so to speak. And of course, it will depend on how many changes they ask. From no changes, we just deliver the IP to very significant changes. We try to work with them. And sometimes we spend as much time as debating the the changes needed as actually doing the changes. But we need to adapt to that timeline and be be really quick and less than, um, you know, certainly less than a year. So it's more in the weeks and months 
uh, kind of units than in the years unit, right? And you, your background is HPC and AI, but um, I think you've got a, a variety of customers. Um, are there any that you can sort of just sort of highlight the kind of things they're doing? Yeah, in generic terms, we've got people um, uh, interested in very advanced nodes, five nanometers. We've got people more in this HPC AI space. Um, and also, you know, something that was not so much in my background that I really enjoyed, we got a, a customer in the packet processing space, which really, really interesting customization needs because that's a very different space from the classic HPC. So they needed all sorts of changes in their core. And we were we were very, very happy to oblige and provide them with the technology they needed. So it's uh, it's actually really fun to work with all these customers on all these really separate fields and, and adapt to what they need. Lastly, on the business side, I mean, you're, you're 30 people, you're self-funded, and basically you're targeting going to 100. But, you know, you, you see, foresee that that's all going to be pretty much uh, organic growth. Yeah, it's going very, very well. I'm, we're really happy. Certainly the market welcomes more um, RIS-5 suppliers. Uh, the Nobody in the market wants to be back in a situation where only ARM supplies. So people are happy to use new suppliers. Second, they really like our technology. And third, we'd like the organic growth, using your words, uh, uh, as more customers show up, we have a really good roadmap and of technology and a really good customer business roadmap. And we think we can self-fund all the way to 100 people. Um, so, you know, we're really positive about, about that. Well, Roger, thank you very much. Thank you for having us. I'm talking to Chris Morrison, Director of Product Marketing at Agile Analog. And Agile Analog have just launched a series of subsystems for analog IP, customizable analog IP, building on some of the IP blocks that they've been uh, putting out to market over the last, uh, well, the last year or two. Chris, hello. Hi, good to be with you today, Nathan. And tell me a little bit about these new subsystems. What are they and, and why are they needed? Yeah, so we're, we've announced uh, three new subsystems. One is for power management, uh, containing some uh, LDOs and POR and brownout detector, band gap. Uh, we've got another one for PVT sensing with a process voltage and temperature sensor and an ADC. And we've got a third one out uh, that is our sleep management unit, which is really taking on all the low power, always on stuff that you have inside a, a particularly IoT system taking care of wake up and, and going to sleep. Uh, so we've we've announced these three uh, products. And I guess what, what we're trying to do is take our customizable IP and allow customers to optimize it and customize each of the individual blocks, but then wrapping it all up together and wrapping it in digital to make it easier for the customer to, to use and integrate into their products. Let me make sure I understand. You are providing customizable IP, but what does that actually involve? How do you engage with a customer? Yeah, so we, we the differentiating factor with us is our IP is generated by a tool we've developed called Composer. And what Composer allows us to do is to produce analog on any process from any foundry and customize that analog IP to give the customer exactly the IP they need rather than just what's available off the shelf. Uh, so as an example, if you were to take something like the 12-bit ADC that we announced recently, you 
can take that and you can select how many inputs it has, whether they're buffered or unbuffered, what sample rate it can run at. And you can begin to play with the PPA trading off performance and power and area. So we sit down with a customer up front and get their requirements. And then we we can tweak our, our IP to give them exactly what they're looking for. So it's a bit different to how other IP vendors work, but our Composer tool is really powerful in terms of automatically generating IP that is known good based on, on classic design techniques and and then can spit out the IP in any process and, and with the customer's exact requirements in mind. And, and I think your customers are coming to you not because necessarily they don't, uh, I mean, they're large companies as well as small, but I think uh, one of the big things lacking in industry, which we hear all the time, is lack of analog design skills and, and integration skills, I guess. So customer might say, well, look, yeah, all very well having the analog IP, but how do I integrate it? Is that is that where you're coming from? or? Yeah, very, very much so. I, I, I've been there. I've been working for IC companies and trying to find analog resource to get projects done. And I think you end up spending a lot of time doing some of the foundational development uh, and not the stuff that really allows you to differentiate. And what we're saying is you can come to us and you can get the foundational stuff that you want, that you need, and spend your analog engineering effort doing the things that really allow you to add differentiation. Uh, There's also a lot of maybe less mature companies that don't have a lot of analog experience or don't maybe have any analog engineers at all, uh, particularly in the risk five area. Uh, we've seen a lot of people there who are looking to add analog to an existing system, but they don't really know where to start. And that's a big area for these subsystems where you can buy a full subsystem, not just a little bit of IP, but a, a multiple bits of IP, all connected, all verified to work together. And we'll wrap it in the digital, we'll give you digital models to verify it in, in the digital domain and uh, and really make life easy. Of the existing um, IP blocks that you've already got out in the market, tell me some of the areas that you know, you've seen in terms of markets. I think you said consumer IoT is a, is a big area. Yeah, so consumer IoT uh, is, has been a big area for us. Uh, we also have a lot of interest in some of the advanced nodes and data centers. And we've been working with partners there. We've also got customers doing industrial IoT, and we're beginning to talk to guys about automotive and defense uh, industries as well, where as we grow as a company, as we, we've we got pretty ambitious growth plans, I think at the moment, uh, half the employees haven't been here more than, than a year. And in the next six to nine months, we plan to grow another 50%. So we're beginning to have the the resources to really invest in areas like automotive, where things like qualification takes a little bit longer and you need to kind of prove your maturity before you can really tackle that. So we're we're getting there, and that's an area we're, we're moving into now too. And and uh, for that, you'll be, I think you said you'll be looking to longer term, you know, add more subsystems and more uh, bigger subsystems as well. That's correct. Yeah. So we've announced these three, the power management, the PVT and the sleep management. But over the next uh, six months uh, to a year, we're going to be releasing uh, more subsystems and bringing some of these subsystems together into into larger full analog subsystems. 
one of them uh, being in Risk Five. We're going to be discussing this at the Risk Five Summit in Barcelona in June, and at DAC in July. How we're we're bringing together all the analog you need for a Risk Five IoT IoT system, and you can go to your processor vendor and buy your digital Andes or Sci Five or Codacip or whoever, and uh, and you can come to us for the analog and. Uh, Put the two together and that you've got a, a, a fully functioning chip. Well, Chris, thank you very much. Thanks, Evan. Good to speak to you. I'm talking to Russell Hagar and Ed Nutting of Vipercore, who've just raised £4 million in funding, uh, which is actually quite a large amount for a UK uh, startup uh, chip company or so, a hard tech company. And I'm going to find out a little bit more about what they're doing because it's very, very early stage. But uh, obviously, investors have confidence in them. Talking to Russell Hagar, chairman, and Ed Nutting, uh, chief technology officer and founder of um, Vipercore. Ed, hello. Uh, so tell me, what are you doing here? What's Vipercore? Hi, thanks. So the key in innovation that we're taking is taking memory allocation man- management from the software and placing that into hardware, into the core, um, and then kind of running that uh, much, much faster than what software can do today. What are the implications of that? There are two main implications. Uh, the first is that we can go much faster, so we can go up to 10x performance uh, on application software. And then the other is that... Um, by taking this into hardware, we can enforce certain kinds of uh, safety, certain kinds of cybersecurity, uh, and in particular, memory safety issues. So we can eliminate uh, that class of problem, which actually make up about 70% of the world's cybersecurity problems, other than you know people writing their passwords on post-it notes. What's the, what's the innovation here? Yeah, so um, the innovation itself is taking what's known as a garbage collector uh, and the allocator, the kind of algorithm that goes with that, and placing it into a hardware state machine deep inside the processor. Um, and so that kind of takes it out of software's hands uh, and, and removes that from the processor's execution time. We can run it fully in parallel um, and, and also enables us to get further benefits from there. So various modern languages, uh, you know, outside of C and C++, you've got Java and C Sharp and Haskell and things like that. And they share a lot of operations that build upon this garbage collection technology. Um, and we can pl- accelerate those in hardware now that the hardware itself understands what, what's going on with the memory. The core of what you're doing is uh, memory allocation. Uh, Is that right? Yes, that's right. So the the core of this is the memory allocation management. Um, So from a software perspective, uh, in C, you would do malloc and free. Uh, In C sharp, you would do new and just let the garbage collector clean it up later instead of having free. Uh, And so that's what we're doing in in hardware. What's your plan right now in terms of what you're going to do next with the money? Um, so the immediate plan is to build the team, to build the build the processor. Um, that will take us. Uh, in, initially, we're targeting kind of building on Risk Five because that's available for us to do. Um, but and then we will uh, kind of go to build an accelerator for data center environment. Um, so we were targeting accelerating Python by up to 10x uh, in in the data center, and also demonstrating the elimination of the memory safety problems. Let me tell, t- turn to you, Russell. So this is all very well, but yeah, it's still some time out to making money. Uh, how, how are you going to make money? What's the business model? Well, the proposition is to the customer is the ability to give them the ability to run at 10x current performance and do so with existing workloads, with existing source code, and simply recompiling and getting all the benefits of the acceleration and the security without having to 
re- reopen any of their legacy code. So that's the that's the proposition of the customers. Uh, conversation so far, a lot of people are really interested in, in that proposition. So then. The go-to-market is our own silicon with our own processor or our own data card deploying into the data center exactly the same way that people deploy FPGA cards or neural network accelerator cards. But the key goal here is we're going after general-purpose compute, which is a much wider market segment than any of those you know, speciality areas. So that's the you know, the, the go-to-market, uh, the, the, the money-making side of the business is, is producing our own silicon and selling our own data cards. But first, you're, you're going to have to do a lot more in terms of the, the developer development of the FPGA, and then and then sort of getting that proof of concept validated amongst customers. Is that right? Yes. So the the goal first of all, we you know, build out the processor as, as a technology, uh, and then we we go to market with trial customers uh, to evaluate what sort of applications we get the best performance speed ups on. And bearing in mind, we're not looking to accelerate the entirety of the stack. We're looking just at applications, just at the complex workloads in the data center, uh, where people will be looking to shift that workload off the main server CPU onto the accelerator data card. And what you're effectively doing is, you know, as I said earlier, you're reducing the, no- the number of c- cycles you need to do to run you know, uh, instructions, etc. This implication is, yes, is processor agnostic and architecture agnostic, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so the longer-term goal, beyond, uh, you know, beyond the, our own initial product roadmap, you know, this technology has the potential to touch every general-purpose application, whether it's running on the server, on, in the data center, or even at an endpoint and in, as an embedded processor. So the innovation itself isn't tied to RISC-V in any way at all. It applies to all the, all the leading processor architectures, including ones we don't even know about yet, potentially. Uh, it's a fundamental innovation as to how you do data processing inside of a processor core. Let's just come back a little bit. How come the investors were so confident that they put so much into uh, such a tiny startup, which has just come out, out of several years of research? Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a cheeky question. <laughs> There's a couple of ways of answering that. Um, number one, this is actually what processor startups need to get. Uh, so if you're going to do a processor startup, then this is the sort of quantum that the investor community needs to be doing. And we're really lucky to have come across some fantastic investors who understand that and who understand the story that we, we want to, you know, we want to be telling. On the other hand, you know, the technology is actually fairly well proven. Uh, it's come out of university. The, the proof of concept has already been established. There's been a processor built. The runtime, the compiler have been built for that. So this isn't just PowerPoint technology. This is actual real-life technology. So that's the, the that's the starting point. I think the other thing that got the ex- investors really excited is you know, beyond the, the quality of the technology itself is the vision. The fact that this applies to general-purpose compute at server scale and, and beyond into embedded. The size of the market opportunity is huge if we get this right. Russell and Ed, thank you very much. Well, that brings us to the end of this edition of Embedded Age with Nitin. I'm Nitin Dahad. I'll see you next time. <laughs>